This story begins differently. Instead of a void, instead of darkness, instead of an absence, we begin with an abundance, a gleaming, white, shining nova of everything. Not blinding, but saturating perception beyond any hope of definition. There is a thrum, a feel across reality, and everything dims. Not losing luminance, but perhaps a little substance. And slowly, the saturation draws down, and determination is possible. We discover a plane, featureless, flat, and expanding to infinity, in a whiteness of nothing and everything all at once. Lines appear, they perimeter a boundary that slowly starts to contract, not compressing, but defining. And not defining by subtraction, but by clarity. Eventually the space becomes comfortable, roomy, homey, one might even say. A rectangle of inviting space. And into that space, an individual appears. Standing in the blankness, they turn around, rectangular slate in hand, tap a stylus, look up and down, and begin to mold the space. The floor sinks and becomes seating, sharp and angular before softening into something much, much more comfortable. They look up. Initiate vertical test one. A plane extends from one of the boundaries and a duplicate of our figure appears, mirrored, matching their movements. The figure nods and steps out of the space, but for a moment, the reflection remains, quizzically turning its head before fading into the background. The space continues to define over time. More figures enter, often solo, sometimes in couples, sometimes in small groups. At some point, someone points to the sign that has been scrawled onto the wall and laughs, thinking it is particularly clever. But each time they appear and their reflections drift through the mirrored plane, something is left behind, an echo. This continues apace for we don't really know how long, but with each presence, the space itself becomes just a little cozier, a little more welcoming. Then, without warning, the tenor of the visits suddenly changes. The tone of the words spoken in the space no longer carry the ring of optimism. Playful discourse is replaced by a professional recitation of facts. The sense of community is replaced by a looming sense of the inevitable. Solitary visits become the norm once again. When more than one person enters, no longer is the conversation casual. It is in fact often heated, combative, and at least once violent. The final visit is a maddening dash, a scrum of more people than the space has ever contained before, cramming in, trying to sidle in, pushing and shoving and yelling and shouting each other, tearing and trying to pull each other out, and the boundaries of the space expand and push and bulge and explode into the white radiance in which it originated. Hey everybody, welcome to a very special episode of the Gimme to Loot podcast, the TTRPG podcast that promises that doesn't mean we're doing drugs this episode. Clearly, we would never limit that to just one episode. My name's Turner. I'll be your dungeon master and host of just pre-show announcements because there's a lot of exciting stuff this episode and really didn't want to break it up. So, going to keep it simple. If you're new, welcome. Weird timing, but cool. Welcome nonetheless. If you're returning, 
Hey, welcome back. Nice to see you again. It's been like, what, a whole two weeks? Yeah, I know. Turns out the off-week content had a little few more glitches in it that required an extra little TLC and will be back next week. Other than that, check out our streams Monday, 7.30 Central Standard Time. Next week, we're interviewing Lord British, aka Richard Garriott. And if you were an Ultima kid like me, that's super exciting. But if you're like a normal age, then... He's just somebody else who's been to space, created one of the first MMOs, was really kind of foundational in a lot of video game RPGs. So, you know, whatever. Check out the Patreon. Great month to join. Not only will you get a interview for our new cast member, but probably the most exciting MVP episode ever. We're adding more merch. So everybody Eldrin level and up can say, give me the loot and we'll actually respond. See what I did there? It's clever. We're fucking clever. And then, of course, remember that Gimme the Loot is not a family-friendly show due to a mix of profanity, crude humor, gore, a lot of squishing, a lot of squishy, squishy squishing in this one. So squishing. So, hey, let's get into it. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, and we are back with the party of five, he said in a question marky tone. Hi, this is Tori. I play Maury, and even I don't know my backstory. She's already rhyming better than you, Jess. She's been on the podcast three seconds. Been here Five seconds and already showing me up. I do not appreciate it, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was ballsy of her to spike the mic after that, too. I think that was, yeah. Yeah. That's not, yeah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) It's your boy, Harlan McKenzie, and I play Todd the Tiefling, a.k.a. T-O-double-D, a.k.a. your favorite bounty hunter's favorite bounty hunter, a.k.a. the Todd father. AKA Totemus Prime, your MVT, bringing that BTE. I'm Jamie. I play Eldrin Thaneros. And did you know that spiders live on every continent except for Antarctica? That's the only place in the world you can escape from spiders. I actually did know that. I'm going to bring one. <laughs> you got to take the spiders to Antarctica. <laughs> it seems like it'd be an easy problem to solve. Just someone bring one spider there and then they're there. Or like two, maybe? Yeah, yeah, two spiders. <laughs> The, the problem with invasive species in a condition where anything you bring to it's like, fuck, I'm cold. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that probably prevents it. Although God knows I don't want to fucking see the, the spider that can survive in those temperatures. I think they're technically called face huggers. <laughs> yeah. <it's- laughs> this is Jazz and I play Fate. And quick question for everybody. Oh, Jesus. So when do wizards need IT assistance? Oh, geez. Mm. Uh, mm. Mm. It feels like we're stepping on a copyright here, but... When they need a spell checker. Oh! Thanks, I hate it. I told you guys I, fi- I figured that out later. Yep. I Yeah, you know, I, it, it, what's fucked up is that's even a callback. Yeah. I'm glad somebody remembered. I didn't. You had to point it out. <laughs> IT, I'm just wondering if you call IT when you need a spell check. Oh, fuck. Doesn't the Clippy do that for you or like... An editor. Oh fuck! Not 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 in the fancy world. The the low bar. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, part of her casting thing was and go in on jazz hard during the intro. <laughs> <laughs> but man, wow! Just not only do I have a problem with the lack of humor in your joke, but I find the premise problematic. <laughs> <laughs> well. Played. I just had questions. I was intrigued. He asked for it. He did ask for feedback. (laughs) Did I? Did I ask for feedback? I don't remember asking that for that. You said a question for everyone, uh, and we just asked follow up questions. So it makes sense. Yeah. Mm, I don't recall this being it. (laughs) And I'm Anthony, who plays Baba Tunde. (laughs) Right. 
Just a little bit of a side cap, so to speak. So what we're going to be doing is a quick-ish character introduction for Tori, a.k.a. Mori, a character that has secretly been here all along. M-O-R-I, not Povich. Not M-A-U-R-Y. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Not like dinner I with. just heard yeah. it. Yeah. You know, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, because you've said that, NPCs will call you Maurice from time to time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I'm going to find all the different close, closely but not quite Maury names. Mm, yeah, fate's a dick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we are going to hop over to Baba Tunde's post-Cave of the Elders slash death situation, and we will handle that whole kerfuffle and either wrap up the season or announce our new show, depending upon how Baba rolls. So, uh, fingers crossed for that one, gang. Mm. As the tradition of me killing the main character for the arc at the end of the arc appears to be a tradition now. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Quick question. Mm. Am I making this, which Baba do I make this role as? Old Baba? New Baba and you Baba? <laughs> but it is, it is, keep in mind, it is a flat D20 roll anyway. Oh, it's flat? Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I will get into that bit when we get into it, right? Yeah, that's fine. I just, I wanted to have the right character sheet up. That's all. Maury, you are home in your jar, in the only home you've ever known. A large, cylindrical canister, mostly defined by the different shapes you have made inside it to fill it. Uh, you have a lot of fun rolling around, flopping up and down the sides, moving up and through the other liquid that seems to be in the tank with you from time to time that provides both moisture and sustenance, almost a little bit like a lava lamp. You don't have a whole lot of other perception of your world around you. Your tank is everything. It's a pleasant life, somewhat quiet, somewhat blissful, somewhat solitary, but very, very peaceful. But a day finally comes where things change for you. And it's also perhaps the first time you ever really started to conceive of the concept of time. Give me a perception check first roll of tori's podcast game let's see let's see folks don't fuck it up this really will set the tone for the rest of her for let's go <laughs> nat one hater nat one you hater oh 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 why'd you do that <laughs> <laughs> oh no is it <laughs> why'd you do that is it a natty one well, it wasn't that one that was an which makes it a three, but it's an out one. Oh, that's for shitting on my intro. <laughs> <laughs> the hate begins. Wow, Jazz, way to stake out your relationship with the new cast member. Uh-huh. <laughs> just real fucking early. Not welcome to the team. Just like, uh, don't, don't. No, 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 no. This is how the team operates. Screw you guys. <laughs> hey, 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 new girl. Hey, new girl. Fuck you, huh? Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey. Fuck you. <laughs> so. I'm just stating that my passive perception is 17. <laughs> just throwing that out there. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> so you are happily sloshing around in your tank and tank is all that exists. <laughs> the tank is all. All is the tank. It is centrilical. It's fun. You like to really get up to speed and kind of spin around and really get the liquid flowing and then stop and then kind of coast on the waves. It's a blissful existence that is shattered one day when you hear a I am now I'm running. And it is a terrifying shrieking noise. 
that vibrates into the canister. And the first thing that you conceptualize is, oh, fuck, what's that series of vibrations? I, I, think, I think I'll call it noise. It's noise. And there is this ruckus clatter and clash in the, the, the space outside the tank, which, again, is the first time that you've conceived that there is perhaps a space outside the tank. There are just numerous new thoughts and concepts bubbling up into your brain like a fresh vat of tank water. Then things take another step forward. There is an electrical charge of silver energy that rattles through the space outside the canister. And something inside you lights up. You feel an immediate affinity with the energy across every ounce of your form. And you start to have concept of form. You start to have a concept of shape. You have a start to have a concept of self. There is more of those, those noises going outside of the tank. And unfortunately, because you rolled a nat one on your first roll, you're not going to be able to make out what those were. <laughs> but you can tell there, there was, there, there, there seems to be other things out there. And for a moment, you wonder, are there other things like me? What? What's going on? But then the energy seems to recede. You don't have a concept of vision yet. You don't have a, a really great concept of, of color even. But there is, there's no way to mistake the fact that the word silver comes to mind when you are trying to describe the energy that suffused you in that moment. Silver is what you think you'll call it. And then the routine seems to settle back in. You go back to swirling around. And then it happens again. The energy is back. This time, different. More intricate? Perhaps more patterned, maybe. And as it rattles through the tank, give me a, another perception check. This time it's going to be nat 20. I'll allow it. Uh, rolled an 11, so it's a 13. Okay. This one is enough that you're, you're able to hold on to the presence sometime. And you are actually able to start to take the noise that is going on and boil it into, well, I think, I think you're going to call it speech. I think, I, I think you're going to call it speech. That, that sounds like a fun word to say, speech. <laughs> you start to hear a group of people arguing. Toad, that, that makes absolutely no sense. If you do a backflip before you enter into battle, you're completely defenseless. Okay. Uh, obviously, guys, you guys have never done a backflip into the battlefield. It's very strategic. It gives you less surface to shoot and, and, and to attack. So that is why you think it's just strategic. It's just flashy. It's got some merit to it. Todd doesn't really seem for one much for defenses anyway. So um, I really don't think it matters much for him. He'll most likely die in... It's really more of a matter of when than if. Uh, I don't think I'm going to die. Um, Fade, you just better watch out for ropes if you, before you talk all this mess. Yeah, style points don't count on the battlefield, buddy. Uh, style points definitely matter. To the people who usually run away from the battle, they go, man, did you see what that guy did? They usually don't, I usually don't leave survivors because they're usually dead, but the ones who run away, they got to give them something to tell their people. And it, by all means, who? Enters battle concerned about where the bathroom is located. <laughs> Look, that's just good planning. I, I don't know what your fucking problem is. Just dig a hole. Take a shit. Who has the time to use the bathroom when you're in a 
fight. Yeah. Like, um, I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that there's never been a bathroom on the battlefield any time I go. So you have to do your business before you the encounter happens. That is why you always have to have a deuce ready. You can't just be like, oh no. I don't have the deuce now. We're about to get into battle. No, no. Drop your deuce before you get into battle so your your bowels is clean so you don't leave brown streaks all over your leather the, pants. The, the idea that you're concerned with that just makes makes no sense. Finish the fight, then go relieve yourself. You're wearing robes. Bad. I bet you don't even have to drop trout. I bet you just let it... I just bet you let, you sl- let it slip right out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just falls right out. <laughs> I mean... That, that makes sense. Whether or not that may or may not be true is none of your concern. So that's totally true, then. We've established it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So you say if you lick your finger and then lick the... Wait, no, 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 no. You And then touch the window and then you lick your finger. That doesn't count as window licking? Is that, what, is that what we are saying? Did my tongue make contact with the glass of the window? Through the transitive property, yes, it did. No, 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 no. Not through the transitive property. Directly, did my tongue contact window? Mm. No, I did not lick window. I licked finger. I rest my case. Which touched the window? No. So you are a finger licker. I, I, I will accept finger licking. <laughs> the window was finger licking good. Mm. Oh, was it though? I mean, you got diabetes. Uh, <laughs> magical diabetes too. It was, it, it was. Yes, magical diabetes. It did almost kill me. That's fair. But it was delicious. Nonetheless. That's what Moya says about mushrooms. So, so fate, um, when we are, uh, let's say, in combat and we are fighting, why, when you have such powerful fire bombs, why do you opt for running? Well, quite frankly, um, if I am a little too close to the actual impact point of that explosion, there's a small chance I might get caught in it myself. So I'd like to be as far away from the danger as possible to avoid. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What? Don't you have like spell shaping or something that you can like it is, protect yourself? I, it, my ability to shape my spells is limited to a point, And I would like to not have to make the choice between saving myself and say maybe one of you. From the set effect of my spells. So, I remove myself from the equation. Is that so bad? He just doesn't want anybody to notice that he's, he's shaking turds out of that robe. <laughs> Eventually, those noises thankfully fade, Maury. <laughs> <laughs> and recede into nothing. But the awareness sticks this time. You are very much cognizant of the space outside. Previously, the, the experience broadened your perception of your existence, but it, it eventually slid away over time. Like it was hard to grasp, almost like a dream that you're waking up from and you can't remember. But this time it sticks. Something about the energy brings you a little bit more to your own surface, so to speak. You begin to have a real sense of self. You you give yourself a name. You You begin to think in terms of I, and you begin to want to explore the space around you. You swirl around trying to get a feeling for the space. And as you kind of quest outward, you start to, well, give me, give me a medicine check real quick. Because I, I think you're trying to form sensory organs to get a better feel for huh. uh, the world around you. So 18. 18. Okay. Uh, what, what would Mori form first, eyes or ears? I think if she was kind of perceiving things and this collection of creatures 
is watching them move around um, or like, perceiving them, I guess. I think eyes were the most uniform thing. Okay. Whatever she would think ears were, there's just too many to choose from. As you start to go, okay, I there's there's something out there, and I need to I need to see it. How do I do that? Let, let's make it's as if instructions slowly slip back into your consciousness, and you be, you begin remembering how to be you slowly but surely. It's still an imperfect sequence. You when you create your first set of eyes, you create roll a d one hundred for me. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> Wait. You nailed it. The more you just kind of feel it, it's just like, this just this can't be right. <laughs> this isn't enough. <laughs> you create a pair of peepers. It feels like you're slacking. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I gotta be lowball on this, but so you create your pair of peepers and you scan around and you realize that what you thought was your world, what you thought was was everything is a very small canister, well, not a very small canister. I would say it's about the size of two oil drums stacked, like two 50-gallon oil drums kind of stacked on top of each other, but it's a single single piece, solid glass with a metal base and a metal top fairly firmly clamped onto it. And as you glance into it, you are in awe of the space around you. You are jostled towards the backhand corner of a series of marble, steel, and wood tables that line up in horizontal rows of what appears to be, and I would almost say if Maury had the words for it, but what's interesting is as she takes in the space around her, the words bubble up into her consciousness that allow a certain level of cognition. It's not like you, oh, okay, this is a laboratory and I know what this is. But as you look around, you go, oh, that's a table. Fuck, how did I know what a table was? When you focus in on something, that's when the meaning begins to permeate your consciousness. So there's these multiple rows of tables and the section you're in has a number of little cages with other strange little creatures in them, ranging from balls of, of gurgling fur to something that looks like it's a, just a mass of spiky sticks clacking around the inside of a wire cage. A bullywug wouldn't be something that you're familiar with, but if you would, almost something that looks like a slightly fabricy bullywug running around a pin, arms waving uh, slightly in the air. But just uh, a number of small creatures, so, most, some of them living, some of them not, some of them stretched out on a table. <laughs> hey, look, you can see their insides, which is helpful. They, there's not really an emotion attached to that, but you're like, oh, hey, check that out. I, that guy's insides are his outsides. <laughs> And that is just the small corner in your inn. As you float around and get the full 360 panoramic, you realize there is this massive space. There's a section that seems to be more dedicated towards mechanical apparatus, a section that is largely crystals and glowing pieces, a rectangular section up the front that is a different... Hey, colors! Look, look there are colors! Again, it's not until you start to define the difference in a space that the cognition of what the space is really starts to settle. There is like a series of small rooms that feel vaguely familiar over to the side and somewhat, I don't want to say wispy, but a thin man walking on arm crutches is moving through the laboratory. Behind him is this giant, bizarre pattern of tubes. And you're like, oh, fuck, they had me in the shitty small tube. Those tubes are huge. 
that interwave their way through like a Mobius strip and then back around through a number of other patterns, which the longer you stare at them, it seems to draw your newly formed eyes into them. A bizarre energy, not the silver energy, but it, it feels almost close. And occasionally through the viewport of these tubes that make this giant circuit that run across the ceiling and then take up the entirety of the back of the space, there's occasionally a floating black dot of some other otherworldly radiance that, that floats out the viewport and crackles faintly in the air around it. There is this, this man working through the space, arm crutches, a heavy apron, goggles pushed up over his head, and he freezes a second and he slowly turns and looks over at you and makes eye contact with you. What does Maury do? Um, I think after looking around all the different creatures and everything and kind of all these words popping into her head, the thing she saw that was that felt like it took up about the same amount of space as her, and, and she realizes a lot of these creatures have legs. And she's like, legs, I need legs. And so she makes four table legs. And so she's like a like a goo table with the two eyes sitting on top of it and to kind of be like, hello, I am also a creature like you. The, we'll call him a man's eyes widen a little bit and you hear what is probably your first connection with the common ton of language as you hear Ognum go, Bahumat's belligerent ball sack. What the? What? And he starts pushing a button and a pulse of energy moves through your tank and you're unconscious. A indeterminate amount of time passes, Maury. You're no longer in the tube as you, you start to bubble up to the surface again of yourself, but you are in a, like, almost like a large bin. Like, think of an aquarium that is four feet long, three feet wide, three and a half feet deep. Plenty of room for you to really kind of slosh back and forth in. What is Maury's height when she's fully formed? I feel like a like a thick 5'4 that could go like to like a slender, taller, or thicker, shorter. She understood the assignment. She got the assignment. Thank <laughs> you for the thick 5'4. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to the world of the Gimme the Loot podcast, where if you don't have an adjective before you discuss your height, you're fucking getting it wrong. You hear a tick, 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 tick. And as you focus your consciousness towards that sound, you realize the man now is standing about, we'll say three and a half feet uh, away from the tank, tapping on it with like an extended stick. And in his left hand, he's got what looks like a big metal, big piece of metal with a little window cut in it. And he tick, 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 the side of your tank and then holds the, the, the shield up in front of his face and tick, 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 tick. Hello. Hello. Is the tank open? Yeah, there's no lid on it. I want to shoot out my 10-foot-long pseudopod and do the tick-tick-tick back at him. <laughs> Roll to hit. <laughs> oh, it's just a touch. It doesn't hit him. No, I know. But shit, for shits and giggles. But roll to hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but I'm going to hit. Yeah. Okay. Use my one-arm strike. There we go. Huh? 18? Yeah, you splurp him. Are you trying to do the plate? Are you trying to do him? Where, where are we going with the 18? Whoa. So I'm looking at him, and he's got a shield in front of him, and he tapped the... The, yeah, the tank. He's got like a. Oh, and it's got a window. Like a riot shield, like a little window on it, and he's. Yeah. Okay. The little window. Oh, oh, he hello there. Hello there. <laughs> oh. Bahamut's belligerent ball sack. <laughs> okay. Dig a hole. Take shit. Um, my name is Ognum. Do you have a name? Maury. Excellent, Maury. Excellent. Do you remember where you came from? That other, the canister over there? Yes, but before that, do you remember where you came from 
before that. The big, em- the big empty place? Then it wasn't empty. Okay, I'm going to check that as a no. <laughs> you no, know, remember. Um, do, do you know how old you are? Old. How old are you? That's a rude question, Maury. A gentleman never tells. You ask first. Gentlemen never tell. Um, well, okay. Some, somebody's clever, it seems. Um, so <laughs> as he asks that question, you do kind of quest back and very similar to your other perceptions. As you try to answer the question, that's what al- starts to allow definition. But as you do this one, <laughs> there is a jarring sense of dislocation. And prior to that first wave of silver energy, you didn't have a concept of time. So it's been however the fuck long it took the guys to get from the first visit of Ogden to the second visit of Ogden, since you really had that concept. So well, let's say, and fucking Jesus Christ, if somebody out there has actually figured this out, sue me, let's say a couple of months. Based on what I feel and what I perceive, time is a construct. <laughs> when, when you say old, and if I answer with something of what I think is old, I don't know if it'll be correct for you. Um, oh, okay. Um, hmm, hmm, okay. Uh, interesting. Very interesting. Um, let's, um, let's cut to the, uh, the montage. So. Does he say that? <laughs> in, indeed he does. We're meta as fuck on this podcast. So over the coming weeks, you and Ognum begin to experiment with you. At first, he does, through hook by crook magical means, put you back into a sealed pod. But over time, as he starts to grasp the concept that you might not be a threat to him, he relaxes a little bit and starts to treat you like a favored pet. It's very condescending. (laughs) But he begins to experiment with language and bouncing languages off you. And you seem to have a very short-term aptitude for them. You'll absorb them, but only one or two stick. The same thing with skills. He... He throws a ball to you, and I think probably the first time it just blorps into you and then floats out the bottom, and then the second time he throws it to you, give me a side of hand check. That's a, oh, that's a 15. Tell me how you catch it the second time. I think uh, I'm still going to bloop it, but then then kind of, I don't know how to describe this, you know, this move, uh, other people that can see me and not anyone that's listening. <laughs> You're doing the wave? You're doing the wave? The little, the little wave thing? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little a little like mm-hmm. like an arm wave shoulder thing and and bloop it like shoot it out one of the appendages that I am currently sporting. <laughs> it careens past him, ricochets off a beaker, shatters into glass before streaking towards the door where a much larger, broader man carrying a hammer his left hand just reaches out without even looking and catches it in one hand. He says to Ognum, Ognum, the uh Cinnamon roll cheesecake's almost done. Are you you coming in to eat dinner with the kids? They're going to be real disappointed if you spend another night out here with the goop. No offense, goop. And Maury, like, takes the same, like, body shape. (laughs) No offense, Dinkin. Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm starting to like her, dear. (laughs) Yes, I know. It's fascinating. You know, the experiment goes back and forth. He very much seems to be treating you as if you were a toddler. 
you impress him over and over again, the speed with which you adapt and the speed with which you are able to mirror back his actions to him. But the, the next real breakthrough happens almost accidentally. You guys are playing a, a mirroring game that he's, he's working with you on to get you to form more of a bipedal humanoid shape. I think this is the first time Mori has probably gelled herself into the bipedal two leg, two arms, kind of a head, uh, head and shoulders situation. You know, you guys are kind of almost doing like an acting exercise in front of the large double windows that looks into the little yard behind the cottage with his husband. And Tied is out there with their three kids. And Tied is a is a fighter. And, you know, he acts like he's playing with the kids, but you're pretty sure he's taking them through warrior drills. <laughs> he's got his big hammer and he's trying to fend off, you know, one of the kids has got like a rapier. And another one of the kids has a hammer like he does. And another one seems to have like a wand and is, is flicking items towards Tia, but occasionally also flipping a blunted dagger towards him. And he acts like he's getting swarmed. And in that moment, you begin to mirror the child with the rapier. And then it goes beyond mirroring the child. Your body solidifies and takes a very specific shape, not one that you could name or familiar with, but it is more well-defined. Almost as if you took the jello mold of a city guard, including brandishing a rapier, and you begin to lunge forward at Ognum with the practice grace of a trained fighter, far beyond what the child is doing at the yard. And this is, has gone from being a mimicry to almost a cue. Give me an attack roll. It's a 17. It is remarkably impressive as you whip around this rapier, which is in fact actually an extension of yourself towards Ognum. He immediately snaps into a combat stance in response, bringing one of his crutches up, which pivots and shift around into a defensive weapon of its own. And he manages to begin this elegant sword fighter's dance with you. You begin lunging and Ognum responds back with Benetti's defense, but then you swing around and start using Capafero and Ognum responds with Thibault. Then you slide around and come at him with Agrippa. Ognum then pivots and lunges forward and you bizarrely shape the rapier from your left hand to your right hand and then squish forward into him and squish and he goes, fascinating. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. <laughs> so now that Ognum has this idea that you can do more complicated concepts, he begins bouncing all kinds of things off you. So Give, give me a couple of things that Mori can do that Ognum might have practiced with you using your skills or your proficiencies or even the spells you can cast. Oh, uh, I'm going to shoot out a firebolt, but it looks more just like a gloop stream. <laughs> Bright green. It streaks forward and Ognum claps and, and makes notes in his notebooks. And he goes on to what is uh, another one of, of Mori's ability? Grease. Okay. And, was, ooh, and, she, and she also sleeps in a puddle. I mean, he would have seen that pretty early on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But she sleeps as a puddle, does a lot of swarping around. She's proficient with the crossbow and a dagger and quarterstaff. And she likes doing all this fun jumping around combat stuff. But I think she enjoys playing with the kids more. Mm -hmm. And she'll have days. She really enjoyed making eyes because I think it was the first thing she made. So she likes to just have a lot of them every once in a while. So it makes them laugh. So I, I feel like as she's like learning technique, um, she's like kind of not that as impressed with herself, like doing a cool sword trick as she is. It's like, look, I learned a new 
place to put an eye. <laughs> Isn't this one cool? <laughs> Every time you you go that direction, I was like, yes, yes, that's 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 very nice. That's very nice. Let's please, please not in. Oh, okay, I'm gonna. I have to sleep tonight. I though. Um, I, oof, I get the rum cake from Tied. Those moments seem to chill Ognum a little bit. Then she goes mirror image. Lennon's like, all of these other ones also have eyes. <laughs> so, so many, so many, so many eyes, so many eyes. Kent mm-hmm. will not unsee. I will never unsee this. Thank you, Maury. Your contribution is um, acknowledged. Oof. And she's going to cast detect thoughts because she wants to know if he's really enjoying it or if there should be more eyes. No, he's terrified of that. That makes him very, very scared. Uh, so she blurps down to no eyes and just a mouth. <laughs> Is this better? Yes, dear. That's th- thank you. That's slightly, slightly less unsettling. The next big change comes. You know, he's asked you to do some quarterstaff practice, and again, he's actually given you a a quarterstaff, not the one that you've formed out of yourself, because he wants to see if your skills translate into real world objects in addition to objects you form out of yourself. And they, they seem to as well. The difference with the, the quarterstaff as opposed to the, the fencing is it seems more of Mori and less of inspired by somebody else. And you guys are sparring and he's using his arm braces to spin around and occasionally slap you when you when you overextend yourself. And as he kind of hooks you and goes to sweep your pseudopod, um, instead of tripping, it kind of passes through and you topple forward because you know, you're, you're a blob, you don't have bones, and actually fall onto Ogdom and envelop him. And there is this moment of conjunction and there is this flash and you are in a different place and you are leaning against a, oh, you know, you would call it a bar. And there is a bard in the background strumming away on an instrument. Um, you have got a bizarrely fizzing drink in your hand that you are stirring as you drag your eyes across the room in a somewhat of a bored fashion. And you hear from behind you. Um, yeah, uh, ex- uh, excuse, excuse me, uh, is your, uh, look, I, uh, I just saw you, uh, from over there and, um, I, uh, you know, I've, I've seen, I've, I've kind of seen you on the campus, uh, a few, a few times. And, uh, I know, I know you, um, I know you're, you're with that Emil guy right now, but, um, you know, he, that guy's kind of an asshole and I was wondering uh, if, uh, you know, maybe, uh, if you're not busy, uh, we could go maybe grab a, buy a bite to eat or, you know, maybe I'd buy you a drink right now. And, uh, you, you turn and, and, and look at a much younger, only slightly less stacked version of Tied and arch an eyebrow and go, you're not, uh, not very good at this, are you? And then there is a slurp as you slide off of Ognum and come back into yourself and he steers at you abjectly horrified for exactly a half of a second and that immediately melts away to fascinating some time passes again whenever someone comes by the shop and sometimes you know you know people do and sometimes ogdom has very heated discussions with men wearing uniforms with a symbol on them uh, sometimes there are groups of heavily armored strange looking men on horseback that pause at the end of the street and stare at the building you know, usually after those visits, Ognum will get into a animated argument with Tied. And during that time period, he begins to think of you less of a pet and more as potentially a, a child and begins to occasionally take you out. Um, when these people come by, he always hides you, but he would, you know, he will occasionally take you out. He'll put a hat of disguise on you and take you out into the marketplace to walk you around under the auspices of socializing you. 
And the first time, I think it's it's super overwhelming. You just this barrage of thoughts and sights and smells and inputs. You, you don't make it very far. But the second time, Maury goes out into a marketplace. What what storefront would she be drawn to probably the most quickly? A bookstore. She's really taken to reading all the books and store any kind of thing that has a story. She likes hearing stories, reading, and just diving into different characters and trying to figure out if one of them is her. As you're standing there, the um, the shopkeep approaches you and goes, "Can I interest you in a uh, a book? A book? Is there a, a subject in particular you're looking for?" All of them. Oh, that's exciting! But normally, you know, we, somebody comes in, they buy one or two books at a time. Um, do you um, do you have enough money to buy all of them? I look. I look back at Agnum, and you see Agnum just give you a tiny little head shake. No. Is there one? Um, sometimes aren't there books that have? It's like there's mini books inside of the book, like pages. I'm I am so confused. What's the word? Uh, anthology. Um. Oh. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. Mm, okay. Um. Let me see here. Let me. He, he flips around. Yeah, he finds an anthology book called Duckless in Taliesel, which is a short story collection of different stories of Ducky, the mercantile guild mascot, and a number of different situations. They run from comedic to slightly more serious to, um, there's even a noir Ducky in there for some reason. <laughs> but it runs through the, the full gamut uh, of genres. And he goes, ah, how about, how about this one? Yes. Okay, okay fan. Fantastic. I never I, I turned to Ognum and, and hold it up. It's technically one book. Oh well, yes, okay. Well, congratulations. You are technically right. <laughs> the best kind of right. And he uh, slides a silver to the bookkeep. It's hard to tell how much time you spend with Ognum in those in those early days, mainly because I haven't kept a fucking calendar for the podcast. <laughs> you know, you thought your life in the canister was blissful, but th- this time with Ognum and becoming yourself and learning the world around you again, you really do attribute to joy. And then things do start to get a little strange. He has you hide one day and kind of go back in the bin. And, and it's, it's disappointing when you have to go do that, but he asks you to, to do it for a special reason because, Maury, I know, I know it's not, it's not I know you even have, uh, uh, I know, look, I know, but these, the gentlemen that are coming to see me today are a, a little complicated, and I just want to make sure that you aren't exposed to the wrong kind of people. That's all uh, we do. So just, if you will just hide out, I just have to try a few things. As he's talking, she's like slumping further and further down into a puddle, like losing any, like forms, her limbs are kind of just going, and she's just, just like a blob looking up at him. Okay. <laughs> Here, I'll just I'll just throw like a tarp over you or something. That'll that'll work. That'll be good. They're they're really not that observant. Gentlemen, welcome back. Don't step outside the, the safety area. And you hear Ognum go over and converse with other than Ognum and Tied and the kids, they're the five most familiar voices to you. Um, they're the first ones that you heard when you came into consciousness, even if you didn't recognize it at that, until the second time you heard them. You see Ognum futz with some equipment, and then you see him take some samples from the guys. There is a pulse of that silver energy again, and give me a wisdom saving throw as that pulse of energy hits you. Mm. Oof, uh, 12. Mm. 
Okay. Pentagoons, give me a perception check real quick. Ooh. <laughs> We're great at these. I know, you're terrible. Speak for yourselves. I'm perception master. 18. Ooh. Now that I've said that, I'm going to get a really crap roll. There it is. 10. Yep, <laughs> called it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Baba? 15. Baba and Eldrin, as you guys are talking and Ognum is futzing with the energy that causes your pentahedron shields to flare into life, kind of in the back corner of the lab, you see this. The first thing you can think of, Eldrin, is the flamingo tornado because it's like this whirlwind, like this twisting whirlwind of goop spiral up for a moment and it seems to be almost interlaced with the same color of silver that the pentahedron images reflects and Ognum sees makes eye contact with you guys and then looks over at it and looks at like this twisting pillar of goo and then looks back at you and shrugs and then goes back to doing his tests that checks out Hmm. that was strange weird shit always going on around here yep yep yeah that's that's totally fine gentlemen just just ignore that for sure. And then he ushers you guys out and you you guys head off to Sama. Maury, when Ognum comes back, there's still a little bit of that tracery of that silver energy running through you. And he goes, Maury, I know we've, we've had a lot of fun over the last couple of days, um, but there's, there's just something I have to test really quickly, if you don't, if you don't mind. Can, can we just, can I just? I mean, that's, that's all we do, Ognum. Yes. Oh, see, so, so cooperative. I am going to um, take three droplets of uh, blood, and I, I'm going to introduce them to your system. Um, and I just, I just want, I just would like to see what happens if you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Cool. Fate. Ah. Eldrin and Baba. Oh boy. What are your feelings about goopy stuff? We'll go in intro order. So Eldrin, you're up first. When when is is Eldrin a Jello guy? Is he anti pudding? <laughs> is he okay with bone marrow? Does he avoid menudo? What's like when? What is Eldrin's feeling on the gelatinous? I think like mostly cool with gelatinous things uh, as far as like eating gelatinous things goes. But he doesn't like like touching gelatinous things. Like when he gets his like feet in some like mud or goo or anything like that he's not too not too thrilled with that uh doesn't like sticking his hands in like holes and finding goo in there there's a lot to unpack with that <laughs> yeah yeah fate <laughs> i feel like um uh i'm uh i'm definitely a bit squeamish um when it comes to my cuisine i'm uh i, I i'll eat anything at least once but the, the, in general the the goopy the messy the sticky uh, it's not something I prefer to deal with. So uh, there's there's mixed emotion there. Things that are gelatinous and remain still, I am perfectly fine with. Once they're gelatinous and wiggling and shimmying, things things just feel wrong. And Baba? Baba doesn't have an issue with gelatinous things. He doesn't particularly like the, the gelatinous cube variety. They uh they tend to be harder to stab than other things that try to eat him. So, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. other than their difficulty destroying them, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have a problem. <laughs> and, and more, you at first think it's very similar to what you experienced when you uh, had enveloped Ognum, that you were experiencing these memories. But as you blip out of that last little statement about gelatinous cubes, you realize you had formed three additional mouths and they were actually speaking <laughs> those thoughts one after the other of the individual guys. And you just get a fascinating from Ognum. 
And for the first time in many months, you see him draw the clicker out of his work vest and click it, and you go unconscious. As she goes unconscious, she's just thinking, how have I never made more mouths? (laughs) I've been so focused on eyes. (laughs) She has a look of awe on her face as she goes unconscious. So disturbing and so naive, so charmingly naive and disturbing at the same time. Jesus fucking, what have I unleashed upon our podcast? When you come to Maury, it is, it is very, very, very different. Well, you would guess some time had passed because Ognum looks looked very different. He has almost a hollowed look to his eyes. He's a little bit haunted. You're not in the lab anymore. You seem to be in a different room completely in a different place. Like he canted you back into your original canister. You're not even fully out right now. He is basically speaking to you in the canister. Maury, um, I, I apologize. Um, things have uh, escalated rather quickly. And um, I uh, found myself in a situation where I needed to um, prepare for some unfortunate circumstances. When your particular properties and your relationship to the fellas became perfectly clear, um, I had to take uh, advantage of the situation in a way that um, it would, could be considered slightly unconventional, but is going to ultimately, I think, line up. There was, there was a lighthouse keeper in Nishtau who had done some really fascinating experiments uh, with, with memory and thought transference. And uh, they, you know, strangely enough, they seem to end up having very similar properties to you. So um, in, uh, in a few moments, I am going to take a uh, lock of my hair and uh, a portion of my brain, and I'm going to put it into, uh, into your tank. And um, I'm going to need you to consume it. Um, and then I am going to launch this canister. In a in a special uh, in a special transportation, and um, it, you're going to um, you remember the gentlemen that were always coming by my lab every now and again and would let me shoot them with silver lightning. Um, they those those gentlemen possess um, some unique properties, um, and they are you you you're going to need one of those properties to um, to to save my life, Maury, or my mind, so to speak. Um, so uh, I am going to uh, I'm going to hit this button. And you're going to launch, and you're probably going to black out again. Um, and when you wake up, you should find yourself right next to one of uh, one of those gentlemen. And you remember the day when you uh, when you kind of covered me all over, and you 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 remembered my memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember how you didn't eat me that day. Mm-hmm. I wasn't hungry. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling right now? Are you very very hungry? I could have a snack. That fantastic. So when, when you crack open, you're going to be next to one of those gentlemen. It is crucial, it is critical that you envelop him and consume the shell around the crystal inside him very, 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 very quickly. That should give you the pulse of energy you need to complete this mission. It will save my life and let me get back to Tied and the kids. You want that, don't you, Maury? Consume the shell. So, so like if you take what is the little the kids always give me... And they, because I like to see them floating around in my arm. Yes. The little M&Ms. So I just eat the candy part. Yes. And leave the chocolate. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you'll, you, you know, the, the, the silver glow, right? The silver glow that, mm-hmm. um, that you, that makes you feel all tingly. Mm-hmm. When you get to the, 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 the glowy tingly center, mm-hmm. that's when you stop. It could take three licks. It could take more. <laughs> 
Nobody knows. What if I just bite it? Do you have teeth? I don't have teeth. Should I have teeth? Oh, I. you know. <gasps> oh, no. Five mouths with teeth. <laughs> you hear the door behind him kick open and he goes, great, fantastic. That could be the last thing I ever see. Great. <laughs> As he hits a button, this armor forms around him, encapsulating him in this giant hulking, it looks like a brutish steel version of Ognum. The other door behind him splinters open. Your capsule drops actually into the, the floor before shooting out, uh, out of the side of the castle wall, arcing <laughs> southward, ever southward towards Sama. Now we're going to cut over to the Pentagoons. Oh, no. Uh, so I just put that together. Yep. You guys... Let's do this. Eldrin and uh, Fate, give me constitution saving throws. We'll see which one of you gets up first. That is a 15. Okay. Yeah, I figured I wasn't going to get good on that. That's an eight. That is an eight. You both start to wake up. Just Eldrin, you're, you're more cognizant first, so you'll, you'll actually be the first one to act. And it is a bizarre scene. The last thing you remember is Baba losing the fight, that a mentally torn Zuide clearly racked with visions of his actions induced by fate's spell, jabbing his Ikala down into to Baba's neck. After that, there was an explosion of energy and you felt yourself be drawn out of your body. And then things are real hazy for a minute. You vaguely remember being on a battlefield with other versions of yourselves, multiples in certain instances. You remember running away a whole heck of a lot. And the Todd shouting from a Mesa, <laughs> it's not clear, not like if it was you. You remember Baba being there and conversing with an older Tabaxi. You remember something about a choice and, and sacrifices having to be made. And then you glance around and kind of survey the space around you. Todd is still out, fucking sleepy and as unconscious as ever. Fate is groggily starting to stagger up a little bit. The Tabashi that had been there are all frozen as if time is still for them. And in fact, as you look around you, the, the world itself seems to be frozen by this glowing bubble of energy that you immediately recognize as pentahedron energy. And your pentahedron tendrils erupt from your badges and begin streaking towards Baba's body. So, Todd, what is the one thing in the universe that you feel like it's most important for you to defend? Uh, it would have to be the way people perceive me. Uh, I give off this big energy because I have big energy, but I can't let them see me weak. Can't let them see me weak, especially that Baba. All right. So how does Baba being alive contribute to that effort? Well, he takes he takes all the, the punishment, so I don't have to actually get beat. So I can just look. I can worry about looking flashy and don't have to really worry about killing people. Right. Eldrin, what is the single most important thing that you feel like you need to protect in the world? I feel like I need to protect the people from the horrors that are are ravaging the woods um so i'm constantly trying to fight uh off off all those monsters would that be easier or harder without baba definitely harder how, how would baba contribute to that effort baba has always been there to make sure that our group has not fallen he's been there to protect us and uh even when we've been at our bleakest moments baba has stepped in and put himself in front to to try to keep us from harm. Okay. 
Your pentahedron shards expand and extend and lance into Baba's shield, which floats above his body. Fate, what is the single most important thing for fate to protect? My mother. Would that be easier or harder without Baba? Knowing the potential peril I've left my, my mother in, I I have to complete this mission. And fortunately, this, uh, this or not this mission, but this, this journey that we're on, um, allows me to complete the uh, the study that I need on what is going on with us to then be able to turn back into uh, the Mages College, Coraline's Mages Academy, CMA, to then be able to complete my education and receive the monies I need to then return to my lender, which would then hopefully save my mother from the ill fate that is waiting her. So um, I need to I need him alive because he's been able to keep me alive and allow me to continue on that uh, that process. Just family oriented and self serving enough fate. Your uh, your tendrils streak out towards him. At which point there's the three of you standing there, your pentahedron tendrils streaking forward and attaching to the pentahedron disc that glows above where Baba's shards would be located. And you guys cast your eyes back to where Moyle's form is laying and Moyle doesn't get up. He's completely still. I I mean, I would say you don't even see him breathing, but then you realize, wait a minute, he's a warforged. You have a slight concern that you have for just a moment that, oh my God, did something happen to Moyle? And then your concerns are completely fucking validated as this tube comes barreling down out of the sky and crashes resoundingly on top of him. Oh no. Cracking open. And a what color is Maury's base ooze? Is she red, green? Uh, flubber green. Flubber green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this green, semi transparent ooze that seems vaguely familiar, Eldrin seeps out of the canister onto Moyle's wooden and metal and viney form, which, Mori, as you seep into the one that uh, Ognum told you to consume, you realize, oh, this guy's not even flesh and bone. This guy is metal and wood and all the things that you, uh, you've you had fun sna- snacking out and trying different flavors of back at the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you wrap yourself around him and begin to consume the outer shell dipping into until you you can feel that silvery pulse that energy that made you you and as you just come in contact with the edge of this this sliver of unreality that is embedded in this warforged chest as his body dissolves into whatever enzymes mori dissolves stuff into as she consumes him There is a chorus of yells and screams and so many different voices that just rattle through your head and bounce around and you fully have a moment where you don't know where you're at. You don't know who you are. You don't know what's going on. You couldn't, didn't think the situation could be this critical. You don't know how you got talked into being in the situation in the first place. This was supposed to be a very, very, very simple trip. And all of a sudden things are much more complicated than they possibly ever could be. And then you're back in the moment and you are. Standing there now, there is a glowing shard that is floating in your body and it focuses your energy and these silver filaments go streaming out of wherever the the shard is currently in your body, streaking towards and latching into Baba's, Baba's disc. And Baba, it is time for you to make your roll to see whether or not Alt-Baba comes back to us. So question number one is, is Baba remaining a tabaxi or is he altering his lineage? Uh, Baba will be staying a tabashi. 
Tabashi. So uh, we will reveal the class then after you do or don't make your role. Just a reminder for anybody who joined us in season two, death is a complicated place in Arnosia. <laughs> when, when you die, the Godspire serves as the home of the deities in the material plane. Spirits upon death are drawn into them and consumed as part of the psychic loop where uh, mental energy is consumed by the godspire, poured into energy of the gods, then fed back out as divine magic to believers that channel it. There is no raised dead. There is no resurrection. Revivify is a thing because you can pull back somebody's spirit before they go all the way. And, it, and actually, technically, back in Baba's arena fight, that's actually what Agnes did. She effectively cast Revivify on Baba by sacrificing her own spirit to be consumed by the spire instead of letting his be drawn out, which, uh, glad her sacrifice wasn't in vain. Or was it? Oh, or was it? And so, if and when the guys die, and I'm two for five so far, <laughs> oh man, we go into our very special campaign death rolls because they are tied to the pentahedron. And when this happens, the other cast members will complete a little bit of an RP ritual that will provide a bonus to a single death saving throw. The DC goes up by five each time. The first time it was a 10 and the guys each gave Andrew a plus one bonus and Andrew rolled over it and was able to come back as Mechamoil. The second time the DC is a 15. The most bonus that he can get from the other players is plus one, even though Moyle is no longer with us technically. Uh, we will give him the plus one for that. So, Anthony, you've got a DC 15 death save with a plus five on the roll. 10 up, 10 down, basically, is what we're looking at. If Baba fails, then, well, we'll deal with that. But let's just say it's not good for the cosmos. <laughs> I don't like the face he's making. 14. Oh. 14. All right. It's a good one. I didn't want to look. I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't a face. I, w I wasn't looking. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he got the plus five for a second. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> there is an explosion of silver light that washes out and everybody gasps for a second, including the Tabashi in the stands as time seems to, to snap back into action in the space around you. And crouching next to his own dead form is... Baba Tunde, Baba Tu, T-W-O, Baba Tunde, Agu. Baba, as you rise from your dead form, show off your new class for us a little bit. Uh, so he stands up and he actually appears to be like, he was had a like a big and tall stature for Atabashi to begin with. But like, he might even be more robust now. Like, he's just like, it may just be the armor he's wearing. He's actually wearing armor now. That's weird. Um, and are you saying he's a regal 6'3"? Is that what I'm hearing? He's, he, he is absolutely a regal 6'3". <laughs> Very much so. His, um, his, his shield is, is more fitting to the rest of him now. Like, it... It was kind of off for like a barbarian to have like that big of a shield, but like now it kind of fits his dread helm as well. Is like it just kind of flows together. He uh, has his uh, yikula as normal, but he's, he stabs it into the ground, just kind of like to place it there. And a small like blast of light goes out, and like you see this, it illuminates kind of like this uh, figure uh, next to him. And y'all know it as it was. Tanage, but like as soon as the light's gone, you don't see her anymore. Like, and so he's, you know, uh, just kind of a different stature, but like it, it's still Baba, but like it's just not, you're not used to seeing him 
this regal. Like, I like that bird. <laughs> this is the guy she tells you not to worry about? Absolutely. <laughs> He's absolutely that. <laughs> <laughs> I do think there's one other thing that's slightly different about this form, Bob. I, I think you've got a streak of gray fur somewhere on your face. And I'll let you tell me how that streak looks, wh- wh- where that streak is located. Oh, uh... And I should not I should not say gray. I'm going to say silver, like the matching glowing silver of the pentahedron. As he stands up, guys, you notice the his pentahedron shield flares into visibility for just a moment over his new body as opposed to his old body. And they're slotted in the center. It's his stabilizing agent. And you don't feel the same. There's still that connection. There's still that bond of location. And then... Things are different. You can feel that Baba is balanced now at this point. There's no more weight over there. The so can the silver streak be in his beard? Because that sounds awesome. <laughs> Anywhere that's visible. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely in it's definitely in like kind of the chin hair area. Like silver streaks in your beard are fucking awesome. I don't know what you're yes, talking about. Very, yeah, very, I, oh, we'll take we'll take it. Exactly. <laughs> we got yes. Uh, Baba has a full turner. <laughs> So you hear someone gasp from the stands and go, he has been mocked by the ancestors. He is the Oba without a clan. And there is a thumping of instruments and staves and feet. And you see Zwide rise up from where he had been crumpled against the stands, kind of head in hands. And he looks at you and acknowledges you. And there's a moment of the, uh, an acknowledgement of the broader purpose of the that the ancestors told you about while in the cave you feel linked with Zwide for a moment that there is a an actual kinship there now as opposed to an imagined kinship and you know that he, he'll in fact probably assist you in getting back to Normir to complete your mission you guys are taken aback a little bit one by the fact that there is a gelatinous person now standing where Moyle used to be that Moyle's shard seems to be floating through it in a strangely orbiting way. Maury, this is the strangest sensation that you've ever felt. But it's also hauntingly familiar that you you know that you are bonded with these four. You know that they are a part of you just as much as you are a part of them. Sure, you ate their friend. I'm sure they'll have to get over that at some point. But there are just a thousand thoughts racing through your head. But you can feel the connection that the pentahedron shard is creating. And you also are very instinctively aware that you couldn't spit it out if you tried. There is something that has bonded it to your molecular essence, that there is no spitting this thing out. It is it is separate and part of you and separate from them and part of them. And you you are now part of an adventuring party. And as you guys are, are are starting to square off and kind of size up this thing that ate Moyle, there is a, a slight scorching noise as Ognum's face totally quadus the fuck out of Maury's chest. Oh my God. What the fuck? Gentlemen, gentlemen, we have a little bit of a situation. All five of her teeth mouths go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we're going to end season two. And that's where we'll pick up with season three. Oh man. Oh man.